0: And now, a Breakthrough Basketball original podcast, The Jim Huber Show. After basketball, his dream is to become a rodeo clown. Jim Huber. Hey, everybody.
1: Oh, it is hard work being this good. I was like, ow. He
0: sounded like a a big choo-choo train. We joined The Jim Huber Show, already in progress. I did that with not having any type of medication. (laughs) All right, on the Breakthrough Basketball Hotline today, we have a, a special guest, one of our coaches, one of our elite guard coaches, and uh, his name is Adam Hepker. Adam Hepker, everybody. Hey. hey, they
1: should be cheering because Adam, if people don't know, he is a national champion. Yes. Okay. He was All-State in high school, was a three-time All-American in college, played professional basketball and is coaching at the college level.
2: Grandview University in Des Moines, Iowa, yep.
1: Now, is this, this is the first year in the Heart of America Conference? Is that correct? Correct. Yep,
2: yep. So, they were, Grandview was an NAIA Division II school, uh, like Mid-America was, uh, until they made that transition. And this will be our first year at the Division One level, and we are ironically joining the Heart of America Conference
1: uh, this year, <laughs> uh, along
2: with... Uh, William Penn.
1: Out you, don't, of hey, you don't mind me asking, but uh, when you play Mid-America this year, who are you going to root for?
2: <laughs> Grandview, baby. Go Vikings.
1: Are you going to wear your uh, Mid-America uh, past jersey underneath your uh, shirt and tie? I will not be wearing anything Mid-America. I promise
2: you that. That will be weird, though. I also promise you that. That will be no fun. I may have to uh,
1: schedule a recruiting trip during that game to find some players. When you ask kids where they want to play at, they always say, what, Division One, right? D-1. Yeah, D-1, D-1. Yeah. And, yep. you know, you played at the NIA level, and, and and we've talked about it. You could have probably played at a higher level, uh, maybe as yep. a Division Two. But but if you can explain to individuals out there is how challenging it is being even second-team All-State in Iowa and going and playing at an NAIA school and how challenging that transition was and can be, and then also trying to find out the best fit for someone when they're picking a, a, a college to go to.
2: Yeah, sure. So two things. Uh, that I felt like and that that I tell kids that I recruit now, the two biggest differences between the high school game uh, and the college game, number one is the speed of the game, uh, just how fast it is, how much better shape you have to be in. You know, you go sit and watch a high school game, and and if you're not careful, you'll fall asleep uh, just because of the pace of the game. Um, And and that's just not the case at the college level. It's it's way faster. Uh, It's a different gear. Uh, all the time and so that that was a giant adjustment for me especially at the point guard position because the ball's in your hand a lot so you are dictating that pace and so for a while there it, it the game felt a little fast to me um, until I you know got some experience at that level and then the, the second thing is is the physicality it's, it's it's way more physical stuff that's a foul at the high school level you know officials laugh at you at the college level and On one side of that, you know, uh, defensively, you got to figure out what you can get away with because you can get away with a lot more. Um, and offensively, you got to be a lot tougher. There's, there's all kinds of contact, which, which I enjoyed. I was, I was a a big contact guy. Um, didn't mind that a bit, but speed and physicality was even, you know, going just to the NIA level was huge. Um, as far as choosing the right fit, this is, this is something that, um, because of the culture, uh, is getting harder and harder for kids to do. As as you guys referenced, it's kind of the mindset these days is Division One or bust. Um, a lot of people don't even know about the NAIA level. Um, that schools give full scholarships, and that NAIA schools give away hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarships every year. Uh, and, and, and kids have a chance to go to school for free, and they have a chance to play at a high level. Um, but but it kind of goes, I, I, it kind of goes unnoticed, which is which is unfortunate. Um, but for me, it, it was this. I. I was uh, offered by several Division IIs in the Midwest and I could have walked on it at Northern Iowa. Um, and in, in the back of my mind, I, I wanted to do a couple of things. Number one, I wanted to play right away. I wanted to have a chance to play right away. And, and while that's not guaranteed, you know, uh, and a lot of coaches will, will tell you, uh, yeah, 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 yeah you, have, you got a shot to play right away. Um, that's something that the player has to, to do their homework on and, and see who's returning see if they're going to have a chance to beat somebody out and really the only spot I felt like I was going to have a chance to play right away was at Mid-America at the NAI level, uh, none of the Division Twos, and, and for sure not at, uh, at Northern Iowa. Uh, the other thing is that kids should consider for sure is not only can they play right away, because uh, you only get four years to do it, is, is do they love the head coach? You know, is it somebody that they can trust? Is that head coach going to be there for four years? Because ultimately, you know, in school, you need to go to class all the time, and if you're not in class at the college level, you're going to be with your head coach a ton. And if you don't respect that guy, love that guy, you're going to be miserable, because he's going to ask a lot of you. He's going to make you uncomfortable. Um, And if there's not a relationship there, it's not going to be a lot of fun.
1: When you think about that, though, Adam, what's the transfer rate now?
2: Uh, A guy named Jeff Goodman for ESPN puts together a transfer list every year, and it was over 750 names this year, which if if you do the math, it's, it's over two kids per Division one institution. You know, in, in most cases, um, it's it's a wrong fit type of thing, bad choice from a kid that was misguided, made a bad decision. And unfortunately, also, parents are enabling a lot of kids these days to say, yeah, you know what, um, they're not going to let you play. Coach is giving you a hard time. Let's go somewhere else, um, which is why you see that transfer rate so high. Now, that's a decent thing for a small college coach like myself, just. Um, those kids that are leaving NCAA schools, if they would like to play right away, they can go in AI. You know, if they want to go city a year, they can. They can go to another NCAA institution. Um, so it's a little twofold for me. I still hate to see that transfer list so high um, because my parents. You know, if I would have called my parents first semester freshman year, and said, "Hey, Dad, I don't want to leave," they would have laughed at me. You know, <laughs> no, 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 tough it out. You're fine. Um, which is not the case today, unfortunately, and uh, for, for most families.
0: Adam Hepker is our guest. And, Adam, I'm, I'm in a position now in my life where my son is a high school player and yep. colleges are starting to talk to him and stuff. What mistakes can you help me avoid as a parent? Because sometimes you guys laugh at some of the things that parents do to try to get you to recruit their right. kid. What do I got to do to avoid trouble?
2: You know, and, and, and you look something right there that I think is important. It's, it's, you know, a lot of families sit and wait to be recruited. Um, and, and, Troy, you mentioned recruiting schools, which, which is something kids and families should do. Um, it's not done enough. You guys need to do your homework on schools, on coaches, on assistants, um, on majors that are offered, on professors. Um, you know, you want to look at how many of those kids, when they graduate from that school, are getting jobs. Um, how many of those kids are graduating, first and foremost, um, are two big things you should look at. Uh, but don't be afraid, uh, especially for parents with kids uh, that are not going to be big-time Division One players. Uh, don't be afraid to go actively contact schools. Hey, come take a look at my kid. Hey, can we swing by a practice? Hey, we're going to be in town this week. We'd love to catch a game. Uh, schools, that, they don't. They, they've got enough kids uh, that they have to go find themselves. They love to, to get those phone calls where kids are interested in them. Um, especially at the small college level, so don't don't hesitate to do that. But some of the things I mentioned in in that previous question, you know, make sure uh, your kid trusts the head coach. Make sure they've got a degree that your kid is interested in. You know, be active in doing your homework uh, because you know few other decisions uh, that you as a family make are going to be as important as that one.
1: What what would you classify though, Adam, as like an over the top parent? I mean, I know that you want them to. You know, communicate, be aggressive, market their son or daughter, but when is it, when is it too much? <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, probably, you know, the, the phone calls, the emails are okay uh, to a coach. Um, you know, seeking them out uh, sometimes at tournaments when they're trying to do their job, trying to recruit, you know, that that uh, is a little just me personally. It's frustrating. You know, I'm sitting there trying to evaluate kids um, and to be constantly interrupted by parents who, who have kids that want to play for me, that, that does get a little frustrating. Um, but certainly going home, sitting down, and uh, firing off some emails to coaches is fine. Uh, leaving some voicemails is fine. Uh, the, the, that's okay. Now you'll find out right away uh, which schools are interested um, in you, and those are the ones you should continue dialogue with. And, and some coaches aren't going to give you the time of the day, and that's just, that's just the way it goes, uh, unfortunately. Um, but you are got to let your kids soar a little bit. And, and don't be afraid to let them take some of the um, communication on, onto them. You know, let them uh, contact some coaches as well.
1: It, it shouldn't always come from, uh, from mom and dad. i, I got to go back to your pedigree. You played for two coaches that accumulated over 1,100 wins. Hall of Famer the yep. State Iowa, and then you had Rocky Lamar at Mid-America. That's a Hall of Famer and then AI. And I have to say Coach Fleming, Bill Fleming, in Iowa. So here's my question to you. What can you tell me from each of them was the biggest thing you learned that's helped you have success on the basketball court and in life?
2: Most of my philosophy comes from those two guys, Lamar and Fleming. I think that maybe the most important thing, and it took me a little while to figure this out, was how important relationships are. Um, You know, there's a lot of coaches out there that can can teach X's and O's, and, and, and there's a lot of coaches that can go get kids. Uh, but there's not a lot of coaches who, who spend the time to to get to know uh, their players on a personal basis and spend a lot of time with them and do things with them. From a player's perspective, playing for those guys, I quickly learned, hey, the reason I play hard for those coaches is because I love them, is because I trust them. And then when you can reverse that and be on the other side of it, you, you know that that's got to be your number one priority. You know, me coming to a new school here, my as much recruiting as as I've got to do for next year, my number one job so far has been to get to know our players I want to know who who uh my personnel is I want to know about their families I want to know about their brothers and sisters. you know I want to know um as much as I can about them because ultimately when we challenge them, when we make them uncomfortable in a practice or if we're on the road and we're in a dog fight. You know if they trust us because we know them on a personal level, they're going to do good things for us. Generally speaking,
1: you got you got to give me listen now. I, I and, and Coach Coach Fleming and Coach Lamar, give me some great at least one story of each one of them.
2: Great story, Coach Fleming. So I'm a manager for Coach Fleming since like the third grade. He trusted me to do quite a bit of things. He after every game from about my seventh grade year on, um, he parked his old Cadillac, his big old boat. Cadillac in the back of the gym. He would have me drive it around to the front with him or, or for him and start it, warm it up and drive it around to the front so it was warm when he got in it. And, so,
0: a, and how old were you? And
2: I, you know, I was. I probably started doing that in the seventh grade. Of course, we grew up in, in Iowa, and oftentimes it was snowing and, and probably the, the worst decision he could have ever made to let me do that. Fortunately, nothing ever happened. Uh, but that was my first driving experience right there was driving his daddy from the back of the school uh, to the front of the school. Did you put a booster uh, seat
1: in the in the build to uh, sit up and see? Or you know, how did you do through, that? Threw some books on the drivers seat so you could see where I was going.
0: Coach Fleming has a reputation up in Iowa as being really competitive, super competitive. When he would yep. get when he would get into you, what are some of the ways uh, the things you remember of him getting after you, motivating?
2: you? Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, and it goes back to that relationships things. So, you know, he was uh, Fleming was a little bit of what I would refer to as a, as a Bob Knight type coach. You know, he would light you up. He would. He would get into you. Sometimes it wouldn't always be pleasant. Um, and that's hard for a kid. It's, it, that's I mean, your pride, you know, here you are getting chewed out by your head coach in front of a 1,000 people. That's embarrassing. Um, and it, the only way you're going to be okay with that is if you trust that guy. Um, and he had a rule for me. He said, hey, I don't care what I'm saying to you. I don't care how I'm saying it to you. But when I am coaching you in practice, in a game, if you don't like it, you need to listen to what I'm saying but just nod your head and smile. Uh, and so whether if I was sitting <laughs> over by the bench with my hands on the knees and, you know, he was saying whatever he wanted to say, usually in an unpleasant way, I would just nod my head and smile. And then I had a lot of people fool. You know, I had my mom fooled. You know, she'd come home from games and say, Adam, you know, what was so darn funny with Coach Funny during the game? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, I, you know, I would not ever tell her fully the truth there, but – um you know, as long as, as kids can look past, you know, and there's coaches like that still today. If you, if you trust the guy and you can look past how it's being delivered, usually usually they're telling you something you need to uh, to, to address uh, in your game.
1: Now, we can't forget about Coach Rocky Lamar now. you got to give me a story on him. The ultimate competitor. So I'm, I'm down there for a camp my freshman year in high school.
2: Um, I would go down to Mid-America for a couple of weeks and, and go to his youth camp. And our guys, the college guys, would play from eight to ten every night, and uh, so I'd go up after camp and watch him with Coach Lamar. And I'd occasionally play with them, although I was in over my head. And uh, I was I was fairly arrogant as a freshman in high school. And so we're riding in his car back to his house after open gym. I would stay at his house, and I start mouthing off to Coach Lamar, letting Coach Lamar know that if we played one on one, I would embarrass him. And he goes, he goes, oh, oh, really? Really? And, you know, he's probably 50 at this point, probably yeah. 49. And is that right, Adam? Is that right? He wheels the car around at the next intersection, does an illegal U-turn, and goes about 60 miles an hour back <laughs> to the center. Now It's, it's like 1045 at night. And I'm going, this guy's saying, we're not really going to play one-on-one, are we? Well, he we go up there, and the dude doesn't even lace his shoes up. And he buries me. I'm not sure I even scored. And, and he was fouling me. He was jumping into me. Uh, just embarrassing
0: <laughs> <laughs> And, describe, and uh, describe Coach Lamar like physically for the listener who doesn't know Rocky Lamar. Yeah,
2: so, so he was a little, you know, he was not certainly in his playing shape days. He was a little hefty maybe at this point, but, but strong. And, and he was letting me know about every bucket that he got. And, and he held nothing back. Uh, which he shouldn't have, it because I was giving him so much mouth in the car. And he can really so shoot he, the ball.
0: He can really oh, yeah. shoot the he ball. He can
2: really shoot it. Yeah, he had the pull up going on me. He could get to the rim when he wanted it and just move me out of the way. And, and he beats me like 21 to nothing or 21 to one and just walks out the gym and says, Get in the car, Hep. Pretty sure I balled the whole way home because I was so embarrassed. You know, this this cut guy that I wanted to play for someday. But um, he was, even at 50 years old, not about to let me think I could beat him.
1: Tell me. I know winning a national championship is difficult to do, and people see the final game and see people celebrating, but they don't see all the hard work that has to be done to make that happen. And I know we've talked about this, but I want you to kind of tell the story um, that you know going in before that junior year, the conversation you had with Coach Lamar, Coach Keeley, and getting you to think about what you needed to do um, to step up your game, and then what you did on your own kind of a leader and as a point guard to get everybody yep. to buy in to have a great junior season.
2: What was neat about our junior year, the year we won it, was we we essentially had everyone back from my sophomore year. I think we graduated one guy, so our nucleus was there. And you know, my sophomore year in 06, we go to the final four, we get hot late and win a bunch of games in a row and and, and somehow end up in the final four and we kind of get a taste of what that's like, which was maybe in hindsight the best thing that could have ever happened to that group. And so I'm sitting in my exit meeting after my sophomore year. You know, I'm a first-team all-conference guy, runner-up for player of the year in the league, feeling pretty good about myself. And Coach Mar and Keeley, Coach Keeley, uh, are sitting there and saying, hey, good job, man, good year. You know, Final Four, 27-11, whatever our record was, first-team all-league, all this. And, you know, I'm, I'm loving that they're stroking me. And, and that ended real quick, and they're kind of like, you know, you don't lead... You work out by yourself. You don't take anybody with you on your workouts. Uh, you're still pretty, pretty much just concerned with with you uh, and not everybody else. And I'm just like, whoa, where did this come from? You know, you, good job. You know, you got to the final four. That's not what we're about in America. We've been to final fours before. Big deal. You know, we're trying to win the whole thing. And so, just kind of floored me with with um, their sense of urgency, even after going to a final four. And The light bulb kind of came on for me. You know, never again did I go do my workout by myself. I was on the phone. All of a sudden, we had six or seven guys in there, and we were so hungry that summer because we had a taste of the Final Four and we wanted more. And and Coach Lamar kind of lit the fire for us to to not be complacent. The summer we had um, as a group, you know, because there's not a lot of small colleges that keep their guys around in the summer, and and there's very few that do as much as we do in the summer, which – uh, what kind of Mid-America hangs their hat on down there. And so, and i got to be careful saying we because it's not we anymore. <laughs>
1: what, what time are those workouts in the morning? Because that's another thing. What time are you getting up and getting after it each and every yeah. day?
2: So we'd work out at 6.15 in the morning before camp. We would work as coach and youth camps. So we'd work out at 6.15, and then we'd work as youth camp from 8 to 3. We'd do our weights with our strange coach from about 3 to 4. Um, and then we'd go in the gym and do our individual workout from about four to four forty-five, five o'clock.
1: Go home, grab a
2: bite to eat, and, and come back and play from eight to ten. So it was, it was all day.
1: Because those early morning workouts didn't it start with just like yourself and maybe like two other people or whatever, and then they started other players yep. started hearing about it, and then you start having what eight to ten show up.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was it was me by myself when I came in as a freshman doing my workout and and, and kind of got laughed at. Like, look at the freshman putting in extra time. And then as, as it went on, my sophomore year, um, we, we got to about three or four guys that were interested, like, hey, you know, that's pretty serious about getting better. That's good stuff. And then, you know, uh, by the end of my sophomore year, by my junior year, we had about eight to nine guys uh, every day. And it, it, it was a great accountability thing. Like, you know, don't you couldn't miss one because you were going to get made fun of. You, you Everybody was going to know. Um and start missing enough workouts, and, and it starts becoming real
1: evident. So, I mean, you'd you'd highly recommend that for, you know, any college program, but even like high school programs and kids that are leaders or point guards to be able to do stuff like that if absolutely. they're going to have a successful season. Yeah, so
2: as a coach, what we're looking for constantly is, is the extra time you put in. You know, we get you, we get you for about two, three hours a day uh, with practice and film and, we've got to give you up to our strength and conditioning coach. We've got to give you up to professors. And that's not enough time. We do not want to waste time in our college practice shooting free throws. We don't want to waste time taking a bunch of jumpers. Now, we're going to let you shoot at some in practice, but you're not going to get up very many shots if you actually stat it, how many shots you get up in a practice. So there, there are things, the ball handling, we're not going to waste time in doing, doing ball handling drills in our two-hour practice that we get you. There are things that guys have to do on their own. And, and the extra time, the extra work is is the difference maker for, for the great ones um, because a lot of kids just do what's expected of them.
1: You know, you being a point guard and having success, you know, from high school to college and playing professionally, what can you tell, like, young people out there if you were given suggestions like, hey, here's, you know, two to three key tips to help you be successful with your team of uh, being a true PG, what would you tell them?
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, a point guard – you you got to set the tone um, first and foremost. Um, you know your your coach is going to look at you at trying to be an extension, and the only way you can do that is if you meet with your head coach uh, constantly, and if you're if you're on the same page with them. But more importantly, you know if you're going to challenge guys, if you're going to hold guys on your team accountable, you have to outwork them. If Jim, if you work out more than me, and you're constantly getting shot up on the gun, and I call you out in a practice, I'm going to have no stock with you because because of all the time you put in. And so, you know, first and foremost, to be a leader, and to lead a college program, you've got to be the first one there and the last one to leave. And it has to be every day. You know, we tell our... there. There's a few people that have to have a great practice every day. One is your point guard, uh, which, you know, sometimes is your best player, sometimes it's not. Your head coach has to have a great practice every day. And your best player, if it's not your point guard. You know, those three guys they don't get days off, unfortunately. The effort always has to be there because one of those guys takes a day off, head coach, uh, point guard, best player. Generally speaking, it's going to be a wasted day because the other guys feed off of that, and, and they look to those three guys.
1: Well, that's what you talk about, too, is like a lonely position. You always say the the greatest word that somebody has to learn to have in their life is, is, is no.
2: You know, And that starts early, too, and, and the camps I do uh, for breakthrough uh, – the elite guard camps, this is, a, this is a conversation we have. And it's more true today than it's ever been with all the garbage out there, all the pressures of this world. And being a dad of a two-and-a-half-year-old girl, it scares me a little bit. You know, it's on it's on me, obviously, and, and, and my wife to, to teach her the, the morals and the values it takes to, to thrive in this world and make good decisions. But, you know, in high school, there's going to be pressures to do crap. You know, and so outside of that, you know you're going to have to turn down clubs and extracurricular stuff because you want to focus on your academics and your basketball. You might have to turn down other sports. Although I would not suggest doing that early. I think you should play as many sports as you can, uh, especially as a young kid. Um, but you're going to have to say no all the time. Uh, you're going to have to tell your teammates no and and practice no. We're not taking this day off in the weight room. No, we're not. You know, having a bad practice today. Let's go. No, we're not taking this drill off. And that's uncomfortable. That's really uncomfortable um, but but if you like I said if you outwork people if you if you bring it every single day they've got no choice but to respond and if they don't respond that's when you start having conversations with your head coach and you're not tattling on somebody you're just saying hey you know look this guy until he brings it every day he probably shouldn't be in our top eight uh, and if, and if your coach trusts you and if that relationship is there that's something he's going to listen to you know, there, there's a quote that I love. Uh, How you do anything is how you do everything. If you go half-speed in the classroom and you don't participate and and, and you you only show up part of the time, that's going to translate to your basketball stuff just as well. And usually, you know, this is my sixth year total as an assistant college coach, usually if we have guys making the right decision off the floor, we're going to be okay. As funny as that sounds, if you have guys... Good guys off the floor. You're going to have a good team on the floor. Now,
1: I have to bring up somebody right now, Matt Keeley. And that, that's your brother, right, from a different mother? That's right. So I know you guys competed in the evenings at MNU in the summer uh, and had some battles. you got to give me a story between you two.
2: You know, we have a term in coaching that we call pass the torch. You know, we want our older guys. Jim, you're familiar with that term. We teach it to our our, our league, guard camp. Uh, we want our older guys, our seniors and our juniors, to – to show the younger guys what it takes to be great. Hey, we work out every day at this time. This is what the weight room should look like. This is what a restaurant looks like when we leave it. This is what your GPA should be, and we expect that every single year. That's kind of how programs, that's how you keep your culture, really. Um, That's how you police your culture. Well, um, so Keeley was the point guard at Mid-America the four years before me. Uh, from 2000 to 2004, and then I came in and, and had a chance to start right away. He was a graduate assistant for us uh, my freshman year, which was a great thing. Well, the summer after his senior year, you know, he's arguably as good as he'll ever be, uh, and he's got a little swagger. And, and I'm, at the college level, as bad as I'll ever be, right? I'm a freshman. I'm figuring this game out. And his alumni group had kicked us all summer long. And they have let us know about it all summer long. It infuriates me, right? I mean, I leave the gym just disgusted. And late in the summer, probably late in July, we there's a loose ball. We're playing Keeley's alumni group. Uh, there's a loose ball, um, and, and Keeley thinks it, it, it's kicked, thinks it's a kickball. And, and, and uh, my roommate, a 6'9", kid, Cal Kibbers, picks it up and lays the ball in after this loose ball for the game winner. <laughs> And game winners were not easy. You know, we we would be screaming at them, "Hey, somebody's going to have to hit a jumper because if they came through the lane, we were going to put them in the bleachers, right?" And so <laughs> for us to pick up a loose ball and be able to lay it in was a big deal. One of the only times we beat them all summer. And Keeley is going nuts. No, it was kicked. It was kicked. You know, and usually, uh, you know, his four teammates are are going to back him up right away and be like, "Yeah, that's right. He's right. Stay here." You know, and and this was before. This was before we had our prove-it rule in. And so it was game point. It was over. And Keeley is going nuts at, at midcourt. And they say, no, don't leave. Don't go get a drink. The game's not over. And I'm just yelling back at him, it's over. Go to the losers board you know, Telling him to walk to the other floor. And uh, my guys are kind of, you know, when, when Keeley and I get into it, everybody else kind of is unsure of where it's headed. And so they're kind of bright-eyed. I start grabbing my players and walking him into the hallway to go get a drink. Because I know Keely's not leaving. And I take him out to the drinking fountain. and I'm like, look guys, look at me. Keely is not leaving the floor. So we're gonna go out there after we get a drink and we're gonna start the next game with Keely on the floor. I don't care if he's <laughs> <out there>. run Because <laughs> he's not gonna leave. And <clears> so, <throat> so we go we go get a drink. We go grab the basketball. Keely's still standing there. Finally, uh Oots, I think it was Adam Oots, another breakthrough guy. Comes and like Keeley is at this point is just seeing red as we would call it in his eyes. That's crazy eyes. Ooh just grabs Keeley and drags him to the losers' floor. So um, you know that was kind of in a weird way Keeley passing the torch, finally giving it up there. You know I think he was holding on to it a little longer than he wanted to, uh, than I wanted him to. Um, but that was kind of what put us over the hump as a young group was was finally beating those alumni, and then all of a sudden we started getting a little swagger and acting like we belong.
0: And then you got a character like Rocky in the middle of it, too, and it's like <laughs> watching you guys on the bench is a, was a joy. And uh, I know you're going to do great up at Grandview, man. Congratulations. Yeah,
1: I appreciate that. I'm excited. Well, I want to tell you this. Adam I always tell you thank you. All right, guys,
0: we'll talk to you. All Bye. right, we will see you here on the next Jim Huber Show on the Breakthrough Basketball Podcast Empire. The opinions expressed on the Jim Huber Show are not those of Breakthrough Basketball or any other sane human being for that matter.
2: I wish I didn't have to wear pants.